And without further ado, let's invite Rachel up. I've got my water, pretend I'm going to drink some. All right, um, this afternoon has been highly um, contended, so I'm going to start with activation instead of starting with speaking. I'm speaking today on the parent realm or parenting, um, and I think that the reason that it's highly contended is because of father wounds, mother wounds, child wounds, and all of those wounds that are going to make their way into um, the building as I start talking. So I'm going to put an end to that first. So let's stand up. I'm just going to administrate the realm of the father, the father, not your father, into the room. Okay, so any of those wounds that are already popping, just start to surrender them to the Lord. Holy Spirit, I just thank you for your presence in this room right now. Any pain connected to the realm of parenting, connected to mother wounds, father wounds, any wounds that we've received from children, any wounds that we've received from leaders, we ask that you surround them with the presence of the Father. I thank you for the realm of the perfect Father. I thank you, Lord, for an encasing, a surrounding, an embracing of the very heart of the Father. It says that he created us in the secret place of his heart. In his book, it was written of me. In his book, it was written of me every single day of my life before there was even one of them. He knew every single one. Lord, would you encase every heart right now with that realm, the realm of the secret place of the Lord, the realm of the heart of the Father. We step into your heart. We step into your heart. We lay all things bare before you, knowing that you know all things anyway. So this is what I see. I see that he sees you and he looks at you and he sees every single thing about you and he smiles. Nothing is taking him by surprise. He is not shocked by anything. 
He looks at you in the fullness of who you are and smiles. And I know that there's a lot struggling to believe that because you can feel the contest. Nothing is taking him by surprise. He doesn't want to leave you there. He doesn't want to leave you in that place of despair. He's not going to leave you forsaken because that's what your heart's saying. He has forsaken me. No, look up. No, look up. (laughs) Just lift your heads a little bit more. Lift it a little bit more. Don't look down. There's no shame. Don't look down in shame. Look up fully into his face. There you go. (laughs) Fully into his face. You can take your seats, but don't leave that place. You can keep your eyes closed. You can stay in that place. Because this word is about, essentially this word is about discipline. (laughs) But it's the discipline of the Lord that comes from the realm of love. And you have to have an ear to hear the place it is coming from. It is not coming from the place that we've just shut down. It is not coming from those wounds. It is not coming from those experiences because those things cause us to relegate the realm of discipline or relegate the realm of being disciplined or self-disciplined to sort of a place of punishment, And that is not the realm of the love of the Lord. The realm of the love of the Lord, which contains discipline, is the realm that leads us into all truth. And it's only truth that sets us free. But while we relegate discipline or self-control or self-governance to a place of punishment, of self-punishment or the punishment of the Lord, 
or it contains all of those wounds, we'll always reject it into that place and we'll never actually be able to lean into it as a form or a substance of the love of God. He disciplines us and he brings us back onto straight pathways because he loves us and because of the fruit that comes from being on straight pathways. It is the love of the Lord. It is his kindness that is actually the substance of discipline. So I need you to hear this whole message from that place. (laughs) I think about self-governance or pretty much all governance from the place of uh, parenting. Parenting has taught me a lot about governance. It's taught me a lot about self-governance. And it's, it's a great illustration, I keep coming back to it, of how to navigate our inner world and then how to govern um, externally. Can we put the pads on? I just don't want to move past that. There's... It's difficult to lean into sometimes that realm um, of parenting if you haven't experienced good parenting or if you haven't experienced good leadership. If you grew up underparented or undisciplined or overparented and overdisciplined, even if you had perfect parents, which none of us did, there are still gaps because our parents are not God and we are not God to our children. We are not God to those we lead. And so there will always be imperfections. There will always be gaps, gaps of control or gaps of no control, places we're trying to fill holes or gaps in relationships and trading floors that we're on. So many wounds or structures that we have to deal with as adults come down to something associated with our childhood or the parent realm that we sat under or the parent realm that we sit under. A mother wound, a father wound, and these are mirrored externally with all of our relationships and mirrored in the way that we lead others. So this has a little bit to do with parenting a child, but mostly to do with how we are called to become leaders by navigating our internal world, governing ourselves so that we can govern externally in a righteous way. We can govern with justice. So consider this as part of your homework. What parenting realm are you sitting under? What is the realm that parents you? And what realm do you impose over others to parent them? 
I'll unpack it a bit more as we go along. But essentially, we are always being overshadowed or overshadowing from a place of ruling and whether that is ruling justly from being in him or ruling or parenting from wounds, lacks and gaps. So having a sober assessment of what you're sitting under, what's preaching to you, what is that parent realm, and what you're preaching to others. There's so many parts I could have taken in speaking about parenting or in the realm of self-governance, but I narrowed it right down to the issue of discipline. How to discipline and how to be disciplined. But I want to take a quick pause here for two things. The first thing is, you can't give what you don't have. And your parent couldn't give you what they didn't have. And that's the first thing that we need to release parents or oversight from, is they could not give you what they did not have. But your heart needs to understand that that does not mean you didn't deserve it. We're going to sit in that for a minute. I think I need to minister around that. Your parent could not give you what they didn't have. They didn't necessarily withhold from you. They just didn't have it. Who needed that? Who needed to hear that? Okay, just because you didn't get it does not mean you didn't deserve it. So whatever was lacking there, you have to get from the Lord. Because he is just and he won't leave you with gaps. He will bring the people around you that you need and he will fill up those places. So I just want to minister into that before I move on. Holy Spirit. Would you just come and reveal right now any gaps that you want to minister into where we had parents who could not give to us that level of love. And Lord, would you come and show us exactly where you were in those moments that we needed that? Would you show us that you never left us in those moments? 
would you show us that you were right there? says in Psalm 68 that he is the father of the fatherless and he is the protector of the widows. It says that he settles the solitary in a home and he leads out prisoners to prosperity. Those in captive, he leads them out into prosperity. The other part I wanted to pause on was this. When I got to this part of the message, the Lord sort of just cut right across it and he said, please tell them that there is no scripture that says God won't give us more than we can handle. That is not a scripture. That is not in the Bible. And I think sometimes we assign things or injustices to the Lord because of things that have been preached to us or the way that we've understood some scripture. You know, someone's taken from us early in our life and someone says something that they're trying to comfort us. You know, God just wanted another angel in heaven. Oh my goodness. Then we assign an injustice to the Lord that he's taken something from us that he never did. We have to be careful with our words and careful what we think is scripture. (laughs) And we assign these injustices to the Lord and it creates within us a belief system that he's not a good father. That if we're going through a trial, God did this to us, but somehow he's, you know, not going to give me more than I can deal with. So God did this and we assign injustices to him. There is a scripture in 1 Corinthians that says, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation he will make a way of escape that you'll be able to bear it. It's very different from the way that we translate that God won't give you any more than you can bear. No, it says he provides us a way of escape. It says, and it's talking about temptation. Not every single circumstance that you go through, but temptations. I'm not sure why that was so important for me to pause on, but it does flow nicely into what I want to focus on, and that's discipline, because it says God will provide a way of escape that you can bear up under temptations, but it doesn't say that he'll remove temptations. See, to bear up under weight requires and builds discipline. He said, don't have the biscuit, but he didn't remove the biscuit from the table. Why? It's the same, same thing that we do with toddlers. Okay, we don't leave the thing there that's going to cause them to choke, but we might leave the thing there that 
they need to learn. Like, we might leave the biscuit there, not the grape there. I don't, you know, so, so that they can learn, okay, I, I need to discipline myself. We don't necessarily remove those temptations. We have to build weight so that we create something in, in, um, internal within us. The Lord doesn't remove everything from our path and we're surrounded by people with free will. And so we actually have to learn how to navigate life and navigate temptations in the Lord. Discipline. We have to be willing to discipline. We have to be willing to come under discipline. So what is discipline? Google says, the practice of training people to obey rules or a code of behaviour using punishment to correct disobedience. And then I, <laughs> I, did, I went and asked uh, ChatGPT, what is self-discipline? Self-discipline is the ability to control one's impulses, emotions, and actions in order to achieve goals or maintain standards. It involves making choices that are in line with long-term objectives, even when they require sacrifice or effort in the short term. Self-discipline involves setting clear goals, staying focused, managing time, resisting temptations or distractions that hinder progress. It is about being accountable to yourself to maintain a sense of responsibility towards growth and success. I thought that was pretty good. It's that inner world, but with like the joy set before me for a purpose. Discipline can be gained by self-control or punishment. I prefer the words rather than punishment because, again, then we relegate it to that place. We've got an angry God who will punish us because he's angry. But it's actually about experiencing consequences, not punishment. Okay, there's a lot of trigger in the room about punishment. <laughs> you know, I was talking um, with our, our second year um, students not that long ago that once you've received the Lord, there's no punishment anymore. There is no punishment left. He has taken all of the punishment. What we experience is a harvest of what we've sown into the fields of our lives. But it is not punishment. He's not angry. He puts down boundaries and he's given us his word and he's given us the Lord so that he can direct us as to how to not sow Seeds into our life that will reap consequences that are not beneficial for us. He's like, keep on this pathway. On this pathway, there is this. On this pathway, there is joy. On this pathway, there is prosperity. On this pathway with me, there is this and this and this. On that pathway, 
the pathway of your own ways, you will sow these seeds that will reap this harvest. But he's not out there angry, throwing down bolts of lightning, punishing us. They're consequences of our actions. And when we don't teach our children what consequences look like in their lives, if you do this, this is the result, then we do them in an injustice because life has ongoing consequences for the things that we sow into that life. It's inaccurate to say that discipline wounds. It's as inaccurate to say that discipline wounds as it is to say that truth wounds. It's very much about where we do it from and how we administrate it and how we encompass it within love that ensures that truth or discipline is good and righteous. It also depends on how much somebody wants to stay within darkness or rebellion as to the pain that is caused by discipline or truth. If you want to stay in darkness, truth will hurt you. Not because truth itself is punishing, but because darkness or rebellion causes you to continue to hit yourself up against truth, which wounds you. Truth isn't attacking you. And discipline's very similar. Discipline is, like, is, um, is truth. It's a plumb line. There are very sure consequences associated with discipline. And so if we want to stay in rebellion, we continue to hit ourselves up against discipline or against the consequences of our own action. Discipline isn't out attacking us. Does that make sense? <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> discipline isn't after us, but it's sure and it's true the same way that truth is. It is a plumb line. It is steady. It is a rock. And so it's not actively in pursuit of us in order to um, wound or attack us. It's just by its steadiness alone that when we won't submit to it, we won't break upon it, that we get wounded by bucking up against it. And that's what discipline should be. Discipline isn't a reaction of a parent that is angry and frustrated. That's unrighteous. That is unrighteous discipline. Discipline is where you say, this is the consequence for this action. And if that action is then undertaken, then the consequence is applied. But it is sure and it doesn't come as a surprise. We get that question all the time. I'm worried I'll emotionally damage my children if I discipline them and they find it traumatic. But the extent to which discipline needs to be applied is only the extent to which it enables self-governance to happen. So it applies the consequence according to the action. What's damaging is lashing out. What, what is damaging is, uns, is surprised or when somebody is reactive, that anger, that surprise, where 
and it's unpredictable. I'm not going to discipline you. I'm not going to discipline you. I'm gonna, not going to discipline you at all. And then one day, bam, you've lost control. That is traumatic. You're going to get a smack if you touch that power socket. They touch the power socket. They get a smack. That's not traumatic. They chose it. It was a choice because the consequence to the action was clear. Does that make sense? Discipline needs to be predictable. The Word of God speaks about discipline all the way through. In fact, I was surprised at how much when I started to look into this. It's, it's, it's constant, but it is sure. It is predictable. The ways of destruction, the ways of foolishness, the ways of folly lead to this. And the ways of wisdom and the ways of discipline and the, the ways of following the commandments of the Lord, they lead to this. It's consistent, it's sure, it's predictable. There's no trauma attached to following the way of folly and then reaping the harvest of folly. It was predictable, it was set out for you, it was chosen. Now, you might not like to hear that, but that is the truth. If you choose folly, you choose the consequences of that. I don't even know where I've gone. Let's have a look. Should I jump back in or not? It's our job to raise healthy children physically, emotionally, spiritually, to enable them to attain all they're meant to be. That's the job of parenting. That's a job of leadership, to give them the tools that they need to self-govern, govern their inner world, govern their reactions, adjust their belief systems, control their responses, to give them tools to discern what is good, what is evil, to give our children the tools to judge, to judge fruit, to discern right from wrong, and then to choose what is good and what is right, even if it costs them. That's what it is to parent or to raise people up is to teach them the value of what is good, even if it costs them. Sometimes when we love someone, we try to minimize costs to them or remove consequences from them, to bear it ourselves or to carry the costs or the consequences or the weight in hope that they will see value in that, in the, in the weights that we've carried for them, and that they would go even further. But often when the cost is not borne, value is not assigned. And then someone else will come along and make them bear great cost for something, and somehow they'll find greater value in that not having seen the cost that was born. And sometimes we do this to Jesus. Sometimes because he so freely gives his love, 
and he so freely gave us salvation that all we have to do is receive it, somehow we don't assign value to it because we haven't seen the cost that he bore for it. And we don't assign proper value to it. And we have to go back again and go look at the costs. It was of great cost. And it's highly valuable. Okay, Proverbs 22:15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of correction will drive it far from him. We don't like this rod business this day and age. Look, vegetables and fruit might not feel as good as ice cream and olives. Yet we do see the difference in the benefit of each of them. When we do not discipline our children or those that we are responsible for or ourselves, we do not build any structures that allow self-governance and when we have no internal control, we will become at the mercy of external control. Something will control us. We will be controlled by something if we don't have any internal control, any ability to control ourselves. Proverbs 25, 28, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. A man without self-control, you have no ability to protect or guard yourself. It's like a city broken into Anything and anyone can come in and control that place if you do not have any self-control. You are completely moved by circumstances, moved by the wind, moved by somebody else's reactions. And you have no method, no way to protect yourself. If we do not discipline our children, the ones we lead, or ourselves, something will. Something will discipline us. See, that city without walls, this is why we have such extensive mental health issues in this day and age. That is a city without walls. No ability, no self-control of our thoughts, no self-control of our emotions, no way to manage or navigate those internal things. And then we have to rely upon external control. We become at the mercy of something else or someone else. I'm going to give you a really simplistic example of how to build disciplines from the external into the internal. But first of all, I want to look at the opposite, gentle parenting. Now, I don't really know what that is but I'm going to pretend that I do because this is what I've seen. You let the child go unrestrained, always saying stop, never enforcing it. In fact, I don't think you're even allowed to say stop. There's some, like, you're not allowed to say no. You're not not allowed to say no. You're allowed to say stop. (laughs) 
Christina's triggering. I don't know how you, you create boundaries, but let's say you can say stop, but you, nev you never enforce it, and you're always circumventing the consequences. So you're always trying to get them to move over here instead of putting a boundary there. You're sort of trying to distract them, constantly distracting, saying stop, not enforcing it, taking the consequences away from them, and then you have to pick them up to prevent danger. Then they have a tantrum. Then you apologise for picking them up and saving their life because they almost ran in front of a truck. But you apologise because they didn't like the restraint. What happens when you're not there? How does the restraint come in? What stops them? Where's the learnt behaviour? That child will be controlled and it will be disciplined at some time by something. And if it's not because they don't, if it's because they won't touch the, the power outlet or they will touch the power outlet then when there's not someone there to stop them and distract them from it, it'll be the electrocution. That teaches them the lesson. It'll be jail that teaches them restraint. But something will discipline your child if you don't discipline your child, and this is the same with your inner world. This is how we started with Max. I, I explained to the children that I'm talking on parenting and they're going to be my illustration, so. But I start with Max. Max is born. He starts in a pram. The pram is the place of restraint. You don't get out when we're at the shops. You're not walking around. You don't get to do whatever you want until you're a little bit older. And then he had one of those bear backpacks with the lead. <laughs> People have a problem with the lead thing. I didn't. So we'd go to the Royal Adelaide show and he would be on this lead. He felt like he had levels of freedom. He would buck against it for a little while and then understood the, the boundaries. And then a few years later, he didn't have to have that on anymore, and I would hold his hand, and he wouldn't let go of my hand. Every t and now and then he would try to, and I would squeeze a little bit tighter to make sure that he understood that he couldn't let go. And then, a few years later, he could walk beside me. Now, you don't go further. Actually, I put my phone number on. You know the wristbands, you put your phone number just in case. But, you know, you, you stay right next to us. And then a few years later, you can go off by yourself, make sure you're back here in half an hour and, and come back and we'll meet back here and then you can go off by yourself again. Now, my son takes other children to the park, holding their hands, but that is the progress of discipline and that is the progress of raising until they can then become responsible for others. But it was external, like high control, loosen control, loosen control. You understand the principles of it until you go, ah, and now I'm responsible for others. But that is how we, even within ourselves, create self-control. We go, okay, I'm going to put these strong boundaries in. And then after a while, I'm going to let go of some of those strong boundaries and they're going, they're going to be looser because now I can do that by 
um, intuition or, or now I can do that by feel, now I can do that in relationship with the Lord. I don't need to be so strict on some of those, those boundaries, but we create self-control within us until it is our instinct that kicks in to desire to do the will of the Lord. We put in the, we put in the word, we put in the, the truth, we put in the why into our um, inner world, into our belief system over and over and over and over again until we know the voice of the Lord. And even if we don't have a scripture that, that is designed exactly for a particular situation, we, we know the word of the Lord or the voice of the Lord such that we can hear a stop. Don't go there. Or we can hear it, come over here, come be with me over here. So we discipline ourselves until it's more natural, until it's more relational. And that's the way that we create governance within our inner world. <laughs> okay. I'm going to skip all of that about being the spawn of Satan. which is where I was going next. We might just leave that. But I want to talk quickly about what it is to be a son. Because one of the, <laughs> one of the things that the, the Lord's been speaking to me about over the last six months is this um, issue of sonship, which is probably one of the most important aspects for us to understand in the kingdom but also one of the aspects of the kingdom that seems to be used as a tagline well I'm a son um, I, I'm a son and therefore I'm in relationship with the Lord and therefore you know it's a license to pretty much do anything because as a son I'm under grace um, and, and being under grace, I don't really have to comply, you know, with rules and I don't have to comply with behaviours and actually it's the opposite. And it's not that we have to comply to be a son. It's that as a legitimate son, we sit up and under a father and we actually um, start to manifest the character and nature of the one we sit under, the one who fathers us, the one who's overshadowing us and whose parent realm is sitting over our lives. You look at uh, um, Elijah and Elisha and how Elisha sat under that realm. He, sat, he, he allowed himself to be fathered and he was a good son. He actually demonstrated being a good son and was then able to receive the mantle and did double. Because he sat under a father and then manifested the character and nature of that father. When we are a son of God and we are legitimate, our spirit testifies of this. It testifies it in the fruit of of our lives, and so to suggest that uh, I, I'm a son, and therefore um, grace covers me, and I can get away with whatever behaviour I want—you're not actually demonstrating the fruit of being the son of a father. You're not, you are not testifying of being a son. 
You are not testifying of whose son you are. And he actually calls us, there's, um, biblically, it is, was such a big thing to talk about whose son you were. We've got the beginning of the, um, the New Testament, uh, the, the genesis or the genealogy of Jesus, whose son he was, what the, where that manifested. And, and so it was such a big deal to be a son and to manifest the father, to be a good son and manifest that character and nature. So in Romans 8, 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And then it says, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so the key words here being led, that is for as many as are driven by the spirit of God. And then that the next word, but you received the spirit of adoption, that word received is not, um, it fell into my hands. That word received there actually means to take hold of or lay hold of. It is an active word. It is not a passive word. So when it says there, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you actively pursued and took hold of the spirit of adoption. And as you laid hold of the spirit of adoption and you manifest sonship that is the son of the father, the character and nature of that, then from your spirit leapt the cry, Abba, Father. There was recognition there that I am a son of a father. And, and my spirit testifies of that. So it's manifesting the character and nature of that. This verse it speaks to an external testimony. So the external crying out, the leaping out of Abba Father, of an inner reality. And then the other one is John 13, where it's, it speaks about you, you'll be known by the way that you love each other. They'll know you're my disciples. They'll know you're my children. You, they'll know that um, you're my pupils by the manifestation of your love for one another. So this is the benevolent love. It's kindness, selfless concern for others. You know, Peter is an amazing example I use all of the time because... Because he stuffed up so much and he was so normal. He was such a normal person. You know, he would, revelation one minute, get behind me, Satan, the next minute, chop off an ear. Like he was just always in trouble but always in pursuit. 
always in trouble, but always in pursuit. And, and the Lord was always like raising him up and then chastising him and then raising him up and then telling him off. And you're going to do this. I would never do this. And then, you know, the rooster crows. And, and yet he kept sitting under the father. He kept sitting under this parent realm until the end of his life. And he goes, I am not even worthy to die the same way as Jesus. Hang me up the other way. I'm not even worthy. Like he, he was so infused by the end of his life because he had been so in pursuit. He manifested sonship. He testified of a good, good father. So I just want to end with the scripture, Hebrews 12, 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And when we yield ourselves to the, the discipline of the Lord, it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness. It trains us. It leads to a pleasant, peaceful life in the inner world, which is what we're always striving for. We strive to enter the rest. We're diligent to enter the rest. We're in pursuit of the peace of the Lord. And that actually only comes by discipline. You can only get into a place of rest, get into that place of peace via discipline through its pursuit. And so as I do, here's your homework. You can take a picture of it. I have set out, I reckon, I don't know how many scriptures. One, two, three. There you go. There's your homework take a picture, read all these verses and consider the word for discipline in each one of them because the unpacking of that word or the words, there's Hebrew and there's, there's Greek words there, um, actually flesh out a lot of what it is to submit ourselves to the discipline of the Lord unto self-governance and unto a life of peace. So let's grab our communion. I'm just going to close in prayer. Lord, would you reveal to us this week areas of our lives that we need to submit to your discipline? Submit to the ways of the Lord. Lord, would you show us how to govern our inner world so we're not governed by external forces, by external people, by external circumstances, but Lord, that you would show us how to submit ourselves to discipline so that we can live 
in a place of peace and righteousness. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Don't forget, Tuesday night starts this week and we'll see you there.